So today's reading, John 21, 15 to 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple who Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that his disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that this testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose then even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I'm going to guess that you might have had this experience. It's happened to me quite a few times. When you go to a cinema, you go to see a movie, and you think that the movie has finished. You know, you're sitting in the seat. I'm normally flicking bits of popcorn off myself, digging in my pocket to try and find the car keys, turning my mobile phone back on. And then all of a sudden, there's another bit, and you have to sit back down again because the movie hasn't finished yet. Other people had that experience? I reckon three or four times I've been in, in movies where that's been the case. Well, can I say it's a little bit like that with John's Gospel. Uh, when you get to chapter 20, you could be forgiven for thinking that that was where the book was going to end, and it would be a great place for John's Gospel to end. You'd have the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You'd have doubting Thomas who sees Jesus alive and declares my Lord and my God, and then you would have this. This is how chapter 20 finishes, if you've got your Bible there, verse number 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That would be a great place for John's Gospel to end, wouldn't it? 
But it doesn't end there. There's one more chapter. There's one more episode, one more miracle and one more discourse from Jesus. And when you turn to chapter 21, it kind of opens with what I think is a bit of a surprise. It seems as though the disciples have just gone back to their day jobs. They've left Jerusalem, they've headed north to Lake Galilee, and they're back in their fishing boats. It seems as though they might have walked away from following Jesus and gone back to their boats, the boats that they'd left to follow Jesus in the first place. Now, if they'd gone back to their ordinary lives after the death of Jesus on the cross, you could probably understand that. But after they've seen the risen Jesus, I mean, they know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. How how can they just walk away from that? How can they just go back to their ordinary lives after that? I remember hearing Buzz Aldrin uh, talk about man first setting foot on the moon and he was the man who was the first to set foot on the moon. And and he said that even when they were travelling there, before they'd actually landed on the moon, the moon, they knew that their lives would never be the same again after they set foot on the moon. Things for them would be changed forever because of that. And it's not hard to understand why, isn't it? I mean, when you're 400,000 kilometres away from the Earth, standing on the moon and, and looking back at the planet that you've left... And surely that's got to also be true for the disciples. I mean, think about what they have experienced over these last three years. They've had three years of walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, being taught by Jesus. They've seen Jesus feed 5,000. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They've seen Jesus calm storms, cast out demons, heal the sick, change water into wine. And they've seen him die on a cross and they'd seen him come back to life again. You don't just go back to your day job after that. When you've seen all of that, well, your life never will be the same again. But what we have, for whatever reason, they're back in their fishing boats, and they've headed out for an evening of fishing, and they've had no luck. As the sun is coming up, Jesus calls to them from the beach. They don't recognise that it's Jesus yet, but you'll see it there, verse 4, chapter 21. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net over the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the, haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, that's never been my experience with fishing. I, I, I loathe fishing. I, I, I think, it, like, like it says in the passage here, I think it's a huge waste of time and you never catch any fish. That's, that's been my experience. But even from my limited experience of fishing, I know that dropping the net over the other side of the boat, it ain't going to make any difference. If you didn't catch any on this side of the boat, you're not going to automatically catch some on the other side. These guys were experienced fishermen. They would have known that uh, all night fishing and catching nothing, shifting the nets isn't going to make any difference. But they do what they're told and the nets are filled. And when that happens, John realises who it is that's on the beach. He knows that it's Jesus. 
and dumb old Peter, as impulsive as ever, jumps out of the boat and swims back to shore. And when they arrive back on shore, Jesus is cooking breakfast for them. It's a strange little detail to put in there, isn't it? But that's the life that Jesus lived. He came to serve. He washed his disciples' feet. He served so that we can have eternal life. And then comes the conversation that Peter had probably been expecting since he first saw Jesus come back to life. You see it there in verse number 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? I think he means, do you love me more than all these other disciples that are here? As I said, Peter had probably been waiting for this conversation to take place. And Jesus asks him the same question three times. And I think it's pretty obvious why he asks him three times. Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times just a few days earlier. But I think it actually goes a little bit beyond that. Back in John chapter 13, in, in the upper room discourse, there's another conversation that takes place, a conversation where Peter pledges his commitment to Jesus. This is what he says. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Peter makes this bold statement about being able to lay down his life for Jesus, but it's just a few hours after he says that, that he denies that he even knows who Jesus is three times. One minute he's boasting about his commitment to Jesus and the next minute he's denying that he even knows him. The irony is Peter will lay down his life for Jesus. That's what John says in the passage that we've just read. And Jesus even gives him a glimpse. It's these strange little words, but have a look at chapter 21, verse number 18. This is what John says, or what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter, with which Peter, by which Peter would glorify God. See, what Jesus is saying here is, you know, this is what's going to happen to you, Peter. What happened to me will happen to you. Someone else will dress you just as I was dressed in a robe. They'll take you to a place that you don't want to go. They'll take you to the cross and they'll stretch out your hands and nail them to that cross. And that's what John means in verse 19 there. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. One of the likeable things about impulsive Peter is that he always manages to come up with a stupid question or a stupid statement 
after some really serious conversation has taken place. He's kind of the Homer Simpson of the New Testament, I think, isn't he? He always puts his foot into it. And immediately after this, after Jesus has given this indication of how it is that Peter will die on the cross, Peter points at John and says, well, what about him? And Jesus effectively says, well, that's none of your business. If I choose for him to stay alive till I return then I'll make that decision. It's got nothing to do with you. But what stands at the very heart of this chapter is that Peter, even after denying Jesus, is kind of recommissioned. After Peter had denied Jesus, I'm sure he must have been wondering where he now stood with Jesus. After denying Jesus not just once but three times, he was probably wondering whether or not Jesus would even want to know him. Well, Jesus says that Peter is to feed the sheep. Back in John chapter 10, Jesus said that he was the one who fed the sheep and now he's saying that Peter is to feed the sheep. He is now given the task of looking after the disciples, the followers of Jesus. Now, don't underestimate the significance of this statement from Jesus. This is big stuff from Jesus. Peter is being called to care for God's people, to feed them, to see them grow, and also to see other sheep come into that sheep pen, those who are not of that pen. Did you know that we sit here today because Peter and the other disciples took that seriously? They were the ones who took that message, who fed the sheep, who who continued to proclaim the good news about Jesus. If we knew all the details, we'd be able to find the line, we'd be able to name the people for whom that gospel was passed on to reach us here today, sitting in Campbell Street. Just a few days after breakfast on the beach, Peter was standing in Jerusalem and preaching to a huge crowd and saw 3,000 people become followers of Jesus. And it was Peter who stood up at the Council of Jerusalem and argued that they need to keep taking the gospel to the Gentiles, that the whole world needs to hear about Jesus, not just the people in Israel. The man who had failed Jesus so badly is the man who takes the lead in establishing the ongoing work of Jesus, the ongoing proclamation of that gospel message. The man who had abandoned Jesus is the man who is now preaching that good news about Jesus. I have to say, I find that enormously encouraging. I mean, if you think about the business world, if Peter had let down his boss that badly, the way that he'd let down Jesus, do you think he'd still be in line for a promotion? I doubt that he'd even have a job. But this is the man that Jesus chooses. For all of his faults, for all of his failings, for all of his impetuousness, for all of his mistakes, Jesus uses Peter in a most extraordinary way. But I suppose we shouldn't be surprised by that, should we? I mean, it's the principle that we see all the way through the pages of the Bible. I mean, think about any of the leaders of God's people that we read about in the Bible. As quickly as their name comes to mind, you can remember how it was that they stuffed up. I mean, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, 
King David, King Solomon, all flawed characters. The principle that God seems to be working on is the principle that Paul describes so beautifully in 1 Corinthians. He says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. I think that is enormously humbling and wonderfully great news. See, it means that God is able to use flawed people like Peter and the disciples and me and you. It means that no matter who you are, no matter how you've stuffed up in life, God is able to use you. Most of us would probably be able to remember back to school when we were choosing teams. Remember how that worked? Someone was appointed as the captain and they have to choose who they want and they'll always go for the, for the agile, sporty kids and all the uncos, the uncoordinated ones, they'll be left to last like me. I'm stuck down the back of the pile there, the last ones picked. Well, Paul says the church is made up of all of the people who would be picked last. God hasn't chosen to build his church on modern business principles In fact, God's chosen to do quite the opposite. In a world where strength is important, God chooses the weakness of the cross as the means by which people will be saved. In a world where wisdom is important, God chooses the foolishness of this gospel message that we preach. In a world where choosing your team carefully is important, well, God chooses all the uncos the lowly things, the despised things and the things that are not. For all of his faults and flaws and failings, Peter is chosen to lead. And that's a great way for John's gospel to finish, isn't it? With the reminder that despite our shortcomings and despite our failures, we've been forgiven. And every day is another day for us to seek to serve and follow Jesus. Every day is a day for us to help people to understand how they might become part of God's people as well.